0: nate's come out with another awesome tool for the swimming community it's called swim nerd live and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart tv phone or other device it has all the information you're looking for event heat lane name of swimmer times and places one click on any device and they're watching you swim meet live in real time Go to swimpractice.com to learn more. All right, Chris Feidler, welcome to my podcast, mate. How are you?
1: Hawkey, I've been waiting for a long time. I finally got a call up. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Sorry, buddy. It's been been too long. Um, I've been meaning to do it, so I'm glad we can finally catch up.
1: Yeah, you say that, but there's, there's lots more kind of important people I'm sure that you've you've got on first. So I've uh, been enjoying the podcast, though. So, so thanks for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, no worries. Now, listen, where are you coming from? What are you doing these days?
1: Uh, Sydney on a rainy, a rainy Tuesday, or yeah, Wednesday. Um, it's uh, uh, from the office. So I run a company, an IT kind of software company. Um, we have businesses in, uh, and offices in Melbourne and Sydney, um, London, um, and uh, we kind of work in what they call workforce management, mate. So workforce management is uh, developing software for rostering and, and, and scheduling and uh, pay interpretation type stuff. And we work mainly with government and uh, large enterprise type organizations. So a long way from the swimming pool these days. Um, although still involved I still uh, I still am, I'm president of New South Wales swimming and and certainly are very very involved with the development pathway kind of piece in New South Wales.
0: mate how do you find the time to manage all that?
1: Uh, just maybe I'm a good delegator. Uh, you know, I, I like to. Uh, I don't stay still very, uh, uh, very easily, and, and I, I get in trouble on weekends when I get home because I just kind of pace the house looking for things to do. You know, so I'm kind of fortunate that I've got a fair bit of energy, and and I like to, uh, yeah, time manage pretty well as well. I try not to waste too much time.
0: Well, listen, for those that don't know you as well as I do. Um, you were kind of the man for about 10 years in australia you were the sprinter you were the guy you were the one that was um setting the standard for everybody you were the most dominant there was no one that could beat you for a a long period of time in in the 50 and 100 um you won multiple australian championships back to back uh, for many years in, in the 90s so um you were always the guy that i was looking up to what I was chasing and then finally got a chance to train with you and be, be a training partner of yours. And, and, uh, you had a huge influence on, uh, me making my first Olympic team in 2000. And so I, um, owe you a lot for, for inspiring me, pushing me and challenging me. Um, but yeah, you're just, you're just the guy, uh, for many, many years. So how did it, how did it start for you? How, How did it get to the point where, you know, you wanted to be that person over a long period of time?
1: Uh, I don't think there was any real conscious decision, to be honest. I did a lot of surf lifesaving. Uh, for those that are in Australia, we understand what that means. But from outside, uh, really, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, um, almost a religion here and getting down and doing nippers and learning how to kind of live in the, in the in, in coastal environments and, and oper- operate and compete in surf. And I did that for a really long time. Um, had to swim. So that passion around swimming kind of started with uh, wanting to get better in the surf. And I had a coach that kind of uh, came into, uh, I, I, I grew up in a small coastal town kind of north, very north of New South Wales, right right uh, near the border with Queensland. And uh, he kind of came in and convinced me over one winter when I was about 16 to really try and have a crack at swimming. And I was a very good swimmer at the time, but not really focused in that area. And uh, probably did a bit more training around two and 400 e type distance for surf races rather than sprints. And um, he convinced me to have a bit of a crack. And at the time, uh, which was the very late 80s, uh, Australian swimming was just at a point where there wasn't a lot of depth uh, in the men's uh, swimming team. Uh, and in fact, the team in, in general had, you know, no world record holders that were currently competing, no kind of you know, world champions or, or Olympic champions for that matter. Um, so it was the time of a reboot of uh, Swimming Australia. Don Talbot had just started as the head coach and Uh, I think in my first kind of open nationals, I managed to get fifth or sixth in the 100 free and they decided to, 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 I was about 16, I think, and they decided to take me away as a bit of a development prospect got my first taste of international competition and travel. Uh, In fact, uh, at the time, I didn't have a passport. So I remember uh, having to urgently get a passport between trials. um, And three or four weeks later, we were actually in Japan. So I had to try and get that all kind of sorted. And then then away we went and um, got the taste for it then and wanted to do better and improve. And And really, uh, it was probably then that I kind of thought, oh, wow, maybe I can make an Olympics at some point. That would be pretty cool. Because whilst I wasn't, you know, gold by making Olympics or uh, winning Olympic kind of medals at that time, I really looked up to people like John Sieben and Duncan Armstrong, who uh, were the two guys in the previous two Olympics that had won medals and, and done it in an amazing kind of fashion. So uh, I've always been a sports fan, and I, I just love what those guys did, but never really aspired to think that maybe I could uh, achieve their greatness. So that kind of then kind of continued. So by 92, I won my first nationals um, at the Olympic trials and uh, and then sat you know consecutively through to the following Olympic trials, 96. Uh, so five years in a row, I, I managed to. To win that 100 free so and during that period slowly kind of yeah reduced and improved my times
0: I uh, sprinting was relatively new in the sense that they just bought in the 50 freestyle as well in in 88 so 92 did you end up swimming the 50 and 92 at the olympics
1: no I didn't I was really focused around the 100 um my, my speed, to be honest, didn't come through until a bit later in my career. I kind of really focused around the back end of 100 and, and the training I was doing was really focused around the, the 100 itself. Uh, it wasn't until I got older and a bit stronger and and uh, started to put that 50 together. But to be honest, I found the 50 always a harder event than the 100 to get right. Uh, you know, as you know, there's just no room for error. Uh, everything has to be perfect in a 50 to get a good one away. Um and uh you know it just took me a little bit a little bit longer to learn how to do that properly
0: so you swim uh the 100 freestyle was there a relay happening at the 92 olympics as well
1: yeah there was so um 88 there was no um and I wasn't there then but there was no dedicated 100 free team that kind of got taken as a 100 free team right. 92 there was we swam in 92 I want to say we were 7th or 8th maybe in the final uh, so I'm again in ninety six, um, maybe fifth fourth or fifth maybe uh, in that. and then uh, then what, what happened around ninety six for us, uh, you know, Don Talbot, right from the start, you know, uh, from eighty nine when he joined, said, we've got to get relays going, we've got to get relays. That's where our depth is going to come from. Mm-hmm. And he really focused the national psyche um, around relays and development, which meant that sprinting was front and center of what we were doing. Um, Yeah, post the '92 Olympics, he encouraged uh, Gennady Toretsky to come into Australia with Alex. That was a great uh, interview with Alex, by the way. It was nice to to hear some of his reflections. Um, But he, um, uh, you know, and he really started to evolve and educate our coaches around sprinting and the philosophies of racing. And uh, you know, I think we really started to develop at that point. And then by '96, uh, you know, guys like uh, Mike Klim were starting to emerge in those sprinting ranks. Um, And then as we progressed over the following four years, we started to get a whole pile of people um, who were swimming really great 100 free. So to give you context, uh, when I won my first national championships, uh, or actually when I went to my first Open Championships, No Australian had actually broken 50 seconds in -hmm. the 100 free. What year was that? Um, that was, uh, uh, 89. Andrew, Andrew Bailden, um, broke it in, uh, January, 91 at the Commonwealth games, maybe, maybe 90 January, 1990, um, Commonwealth games. Um, and, uh, and then by 2000, you had to break uh, 50 just to make a final. And in fact, a couple of us went under 49 in the final of those trials in 2000. Yeah. Um, but the depth, the depth was incredibly different. And, and uh, that really led to the great strength that we had in those relays for those late, late 90s and, and early 2000s and even today.
0: I got a couple of questions from that um, but I do want to touch on the fact that you said Gennady and Alex Popoff did end up moving to Australia in 93 and, and that had an impact on me because I was pulled into a, a camp you know of, of potentials that could possibly make the 2000 Olympics I can't remember if you were in that camp and, and what type of impact did Alex have on you was it was it as profound as the one he had on me, like he, Gennady and Alex kind of changed the way that I thought about myself and sprinting and everything. was there, did they have that impact on you as well?
1: Yeah, no doubt. And not, not just on me, but on, you know, my coach, Greg uh, Salter, who, you know, and, and uh, you know, and, and a lot of the coaches around that time, they were open to new ideas um, and, you know, wanting to learn and understand things better. And um, Gennady was, was a great kind of mentor to those guys, but More than that, you know, they would throw ideas at him and I think he would learn from them on on some of the things as well. Mm. Um, Yeah, I I remember my first camp uh, with Alex, we were in Hawaii um, not long after Gennady had taken over as kind of the head coach and and for whatever reason, they decided to take us across there. When we got there, we were straight into, you know, three sessions during the day still. Um, A lot of change uh, Gennady had around a lot of longer slow swimming kind of methodology in his Mm. training. Alex, I think we did a couple of days and then Alex kind of turned up, um, for his first session. And, uh, it was nice to kind of uh, see him at pool deck and we were looking forward to training with him for the the, the few days that were kind of over there. Uh, and we had a, yeah, a number of the guys that were, were ready to, to swim and we, we were all warming, warming up in the pool. Alex kind of turned up a little late, um, started swinging his arms about, and then, um, uh Gennady kind of got us out of the water, uh, introduced us to Alex, and then uh, explained to us that he'd asked Alex just to do a, a, basically a dry 100 freestyle. Um, Alex had done a dry warm-up, and that's what he was doing while we were all in the water. And, you know, basically Alex got in and broke the Australian record by half a second, you know, <laughs> according to Gennady's, um, you know, handheld time. And that was kind of the, that was the start. I was like, welcome, welcome to, to the real world of sprinting, guys. This is, this is what the best does. Um, I still recall it, right? It must be 30 years later. Uh, it was still very impactful. Uh, but I did learn a lot from, from Alex, watching him uh, and listening to him speak um, about the, the sprinting. Gennady a lot too. A little bit technically in those things, but really what I, I got from Gennady was a lot about the mental kind of state. You know, the, that arousal level and monitoring those type of things coming in during you know how to manage um i just thought some of the stuff he said really resounded well uh, not just in the water but a lot of the out of the water stuff
0: yeah for sure great story um that's so true too i could absolutely see alex doing that <laughs> just dropping one on everybody and being like <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, um well you know from from 96 to 2000 you you become a, a competitor of his you know so what was it like you know knowing him as as a A friend in in a way and then becoming somebody that was out to beat him or or he he was he saw you out to beat him so you're obviously competitors was that was there a difference in the way that you guys reacted and treated each other at that point
1: you're referring to alex yeah yeah um really we were competitors from 92 just didn't know him um Listen. The reality is, I uh, would never have considered myself in the same uh, class um, as Alex. He was the Olympic champion, and I, you know, I was kind of still learning the trade. Um, he was always really respectful, um, friendly. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, he, he knew that, that he, you know, that he was the best and that was part of his psyche as well, but he didn't do it in an arrogant way. Certainly I never saw it from that perspective. Mm. Um, uh, it, it was someone I was always aiming to kind of beat, um, trying to re- refine my skills and, and I recognised that I couldn't swim identically to him, but there were parts of what he did, you know, that I tried to incorporate into my stroke and, and racing kind of practice and, and, uh, So, yeah, he was kind of that goal I was always trying to become more and more close to um, during that period. But unfortunately, you know, it was Alex, right? So I just didn't have quite that level of talent.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there was something special about him for sure. But in terms of uh, the talent you had and the impact you had on Australian swimming, you were dominant for a number of years. I mean, you were the guy. There was nobody that could beat you um, when it it came to certainly the the Australian scene. So there must have been... Uh, a pride within that circuit of of being the number one guy in Australia and being dominant and holding your place as the fastest swimmer. I mean, how did that play into everything that you were doing, you know, on a yearly basis?
1: Uh, Yeah. Listen, I, I I suppose the one thing I love is racing and I, and I, uh, you know, I don't, I don't lose that kind of competition. I love competing. Um, And uh, at that time, you know, I was I was really just trying to one improve the way I was swimming. I, I recognised that I needed to improve to be competitive at an international level, um, and really trying to to drive um, you know better performance and better recognition for Australia in those sprinting ranks. Um, I, I you know from the early days, I, I always would have loved to for Australia to be competitive. I love swimming relays um, and trying to drag. Um, you know, everyone, everyone up so that we had four, five, six guys swimming really well at an international meet was something that I, you know, I really would have uh, loved earlier. I would have loved to be swimming really competitive relays for five, six years challenging the U.S. At every relay that we kind of did would have been awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, so p- part of it was, um, you know, trying to lift the standard uh, here. I wasn't doing it on my own by any stretch. There were lots of guys that were kind of around during that period that were doing it, and, and uh, we were all just trying to improve. And when we saw the standard that Alex kind of bought uh, and Gennady bought to, to sprinting, I think there was a number of us. Andy Barlin's a great example. He was a great competitor during that, uh, during that period as well. And we just really tried to drive uh, that professionalism into, into the sprinting ranks and uh, incorporate that with the, uh, the professionalism that we had both in and out of the water. Um, so I never really felt like I was the guy in that space. Um, I just wanted to, to race and win. Um, and then, you know, from 96 then the challenges really started to, to, to drop in, you know, um, Lumpy uh, joined the ranks and was really competitive uh, around that time. Ian uh, thought popped in and, 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 uh, Uh, started to swim competitively. And then there was a pile of guys who were swimming really well, you know, Todd Pearson, you know, Adam Pine was starting to swim good freestyle and then Callis kind of came through in those last few years as well. So, I mean, there was lots, I probably missed half a dozen guys that were swimming really competitively at that time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, as you said earlier, um, Don had a huge impact on that era of swimming, um, and, and we've all got a great Don story. He's tucked away somewhere. Uh, you, can, you, can you give us one of your best uh, Don Talbot stories that you could share with us?
1: Uh, listen, there's a number of them I can't share with you, um, you know, for, for, for respect of the uh, recently departed. Um, what I can tell you is this, is, is uh, Don had to put in place a discipline in the team that wasn't there um, through the 80s. And, and, and he had to instill uh, a team kind of feel uh, to the organization as well. And um, he put a lot of people offside in those early days. I remember a time in the 1990 Commonwealth Games, so Don had only been with us for a year, where senior members of the team kind of got the whole team to get together to uh, you know, sit in a room, complain to management that we should, they should sack Don. Um, and, uh, you know, the president of, um, you know, Australian Swim at the time came to the meeting and it was, it was really big, right? Like as a young guy, I was 17 maybe at the time and I had all these senior kind of athletes that I looked up to in the team that were saying this is the wrong thing, but he, he held his nerve um, and continued to drive discipline and, and uh, into that team to be, you know, drive the professionalism. Um, about being a swimmer it wasn't wasn't just kind of turn up to the pool and 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 do a few laps guys it's you got to do the right stuff in the gym you got to be eating the right kind of stuff you got to be not drinking you know the type of stuff uh, that you shouldn't be as well and coming in and really kind of focusing us on on performing better and i suppose one of the things that he often said at the time was listen getting and qualifying for olympics is not enough you know, change that mindset. That's, that's just the ticket to the dance. And uh, really the goal should be winning these things, not just making them. And, and so he really, really drove that change. I think sometimes he uh, drew the team together from a shared kind of dislike of the guy. And, uh, you know, we had a, we had a common enemy in the head coach and then everyone kind of tightened up a little bit, but most of the time upon reflection, you know, he drove, he drove a great outcome. And uh, so for me, um, you know, I, I, look back on that and I kind of learn a lot from how he did things and what, why he did things. Uh, I would probably do things slightly differently, you know, in retrospect, but, uh, he got away with it and he certainly, uh, certainly got the results by the end of that decade that he was uh, promising a decade before.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There was no doubt he was bringing <clears throat> discipline into it. And, you know, it, there was at one point where he felt like a dictator, but, um, looking back certainly like you said he got results um he probably burned a couple of people along the way but there was probably a, a, a couple more that um got a helping hand from that as well so you know it's hard to say that um it, it was certainly all bad because it wasn't we we got incredible results during that period of time and um there's a lot that we owed on in that era for sure but
1: um you know one of the things yeah. that let me I, I do. I do have a little story about that. Uh, I've just just been yeah. reflecting. I, I'll tell you a quick story. So, so you know what the World Cups are like, uh, and p- particularly in that in that time, like we we didn't have big budgets, and and, and we had very small teams, mm. and uh, we would go away, and we'd fly across. Um, there'd be no support staff attached. Uh, we'd we'd roll in. Uh, you know, at the, at the time. That I started swimming internationally they were still smoking on planes right so <laughs> often swimming in Australia would get the cheapest tickets they could find and we kind of found ourselves you know stretched out because no one wanted the, the tickets in the smoking area of the planes but we would be able to stretch out at least so often we found ourselves crawling back to that area so we could have a <laughs> sleep on the way so long flights into Europe and uh, then we kind of get there. We would generally only get there a day or two before the first meet, and then we go, yeah, you know, race in Sweden, you know, race in uh, Paris or race in Germany, you know, two days between each, and then home. So the whole thing you'd be out and back in about ten days, and yeah, you know, three of it would be flying. So the connectors were really important to us from one town to another because you didn't once you're actually in uh, Europe, you didn't want to be doing too much. And Australian mm-hmm. swimming at the time was sponsored by. Um, uh, Qantas I think so uh, we had this one flight that was kind of between um, Sweden and, and Paris and for whatever reason there was no direct flight so we all got on this flight we had to go to London and there was like an eight-hour stopover before we could get down to Paris <laughs> so it was a long day we'd done our swim the day before we'd all got up early we would got across we only had two days until the Paris meet got on the plane um, and no Don and uh, we just assumed that he'd kind of yeah, was doing something he would meet us there because he he kind of floated around it. And uh we then uh you know, we, we knew that he was at the hotel still when we left. We then spent the whole day traveling and we land in Paris late in the afternoon or early in the evening after a heck, heck of a day, maybe 10 hours worth of travel from what should be a, a one-hour direct flight. And Don's waiting for us at the airport. <laughs> and we kind of like we're all drag drag ourselves off the plane, and uh, he's waiting for us there. We say, well, how how did you get here so quickly? He said, oh, I just organised myself a flight from, from Sweden direct to Paris, let us do the full travel round, and he's just sitting there waiting for us, looking nice and refreshed, having a coffee at the airport. It's like, dude... (laughs) <laughs> really? Like, uh, anyway, I do recall that. Yeah. That, that got my goat going that one. Yeah. that's yeah, good to be,
0: it's good to be the King. That's it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, listen, uh, one of the things I was going to say is one of the things I uh, absolutely hated about you is you were uh, fast, you were extremely good looking and you were also intelligent. You had the kind of the full package, you know? So in terms of your intelligence, one of the things that I did admire about your jokes aside is that you were um, also serious about your education and about life after swimming. And that wasn't very common for people in Australia at the time. It was very, very difficult to balance, you know, being, uh, representing Australia. There wasn't a lot of money involved. And like you said, we're traveling all the time, going on all these crazy trips. So in terms of holding down a job or getting an education, it was almost impossible. How, how did you go about that? How did you pull that off?
1: Uh, over a long time I think and I think one of my strengths uh, probably is that you know I'm, I'm more than happy to to take my time doing stuff I mean it took me it took me 12 years of getting on the national teams before I got a medal right so uh I'm patient mm-hmm. um and and education was the same at the time you know my, my my thought was I can't do swimming forever I'm gonna have to uh learn to do something else along the way um and uh i swim in the morning, swim in the afternoon. I, I really couldn't do like a, a, a heavy kind of laborious job. So um, education was one of the things that I'd always been taught by mum and dad was important. And so I started a university course. At the time, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do post. Uh, I did a commerce and law degree. Um, it took me the best part of six years to kind of get through part-time. I was really lucky. There was a there was a university, a new university on the Gold Coast called Bond, uh, and it started. And it had a schedule that was different to other Australian universities. It actually had like three terms, mm. um, and uh, you know the. The, the whole idea uh, of fitting your whole degree into three terms rather than two terms a, a year made sense to me. And it just kind of worked out, you know, the summer, the northern summer I would have off, um, but I could still get two terms done. And sometimes I'd be part time and others I wouldn't. Um, the school kind of recognized the sporting commitment as well. So they were a little flexible if I was late on getting an assignment in because I was traveling or whatever. Mm. So that kind of worked really well. Um, and I just kind of, I just kind of did that along the ways. Um, my, my thought on that, um, while I have you, is is slightly different today. Uh, now that I'm actually an employer of people, and in fact I, I employ uh, a number of former athletes as well into the business where I can, um, and I share this with the, the national team today. I think education is really important. Mm. But I think the most important um, part of the transition from swimming and, and into real world is to start to get some real world experience. And that mm-hmm. comes from a job generally. Mm-hmm. Um, I liken, uh, you know, to just to, to start starting somewhere before you actually finish somewhere else. And and uh, one of the great, and, and the education piece is important, but I don't think you necessarily need to finish it. You know, if you If you focus only on education, you'll come out of your swimming career, and let's say it's mid-20s, you'll have a degree like everyone else, um, and you'll have some experience, but you've still got to start at that bottom rung to actually get yourself moving. I think if you've got two or three years experience working in a real job, even if it's only part-time... I think that's a really important part of that transition. Um, And then, you know, on the flip side of that, you've got external kind of influences. You've got social groups that kind of sit outside the sport as well. And I just think, I think we need to recommend more than just education for athletes as you, as you start thinking about that end of career time, um, start to pick up a a gig in an area that you're really interested in um, use your connections that you've developed through your swimming kind of career to get a bit of a start and just start that real world experience. And I think with that kind of momentum, when you do decide to to, to finish and 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 uh, and you know get out of that competitive world, uh, you can just transition much more simply rather than starting something totally new or looking for something totally new.
0: Yeah. It sounds like with people like you, um, you know, bringing athletes in now, it sounds like there, there are systems in place now where athletes have more opportunity. Like back, back when we were swimming, it didn't seem like there was a lot of opportunity for that. It didn't seem like people really cared whether you were getting an education or you were getting some work experience. It was more like, Hey, we want you to swim. We want you to swim real fast and travel the world with us. But is it, has that shifted a little bit now? Is there more opportunities for athletes to get that
1: part-time work? Um, a, li- a little, maybe. Um, I-, I think there, are, there are two challenges, you know, funding for the sports themselves is always tight and they've got to balance the, you know, the, the way in which they put their monies towards existing athletes and, and, and former athletes as well. That, that's, that's always a challenge. I think there's a general apathy like, you know, probably you and I were in our early days as well so, you know, we'll swim forever and we'll deal with that at the end as well. And, yeah. and swimming does take a lot of energy. Um, so, uh, and uh, you know, you just kind of, you're in that bubble and hope it never kind of ends and maybe you don't want to don't want to think about that. So there's, a, there's an apathy to actually entertain those thoughts and, um, I think there's a lot more work to be done though, hockey I think, um, yeah, organisations, whether it be Swimming Australia or Swimming New South Wales or FINA, whatever that might be. Um, you know, I think there's more work to be done to develop those kind of networks better in our sport. Um, there are certainly people out there that want to help, but there's not a lot of them. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, I just think it's, it's something that needs much more development still. And, and I think there's a, there's a, general um want to do that maybe even the, the olympic committees uh, globally as well can help in this sense um, mm. but there there needs to be you know more done more education kind of done Yeah, you know, continuing the, the pathway of, of development as an individual and as a human rather than just as a swimmer i think is really important
0: was there ever a draw for you or an attraction or a lure to possibly go to the u.s and study and, and compete over there
1: yeah yeah a- a- absolutely um, so early, early on, I, I kind of had a uh, uh, an offer um, to uh, move to USC. Mm. Um, John Steele. I don't know if you ever ran across John Steele. Was yeah. a New, New Zealand Zealander. guy. Mm. Um, yeah, great guy, who um, uh, you know was across there. The program was quite a good program there. I can't actually recall now who the coach was at that time. Uh, I certainly entertained it. I just wasn't in a position. Uh, to move away. I was kind of comfortable with the coach. I was still improving with Greg. I just kind of started university here and that seemed to work. Uh, you know, I was living around that Tweed Gold Coast space and I was, I was quite comfortable in that area at the time. So just at the time, it just didn't make sense to me. Do I regret that? Listen, the US is a great opportunity for, for many athletes. Um, you know, yourself invo- is a good, a good example. And, and uh, But for me at that time, it just wasn't, uh, wasn't the right move.
0: Yeah, no, it's not for everybody. And you seem it's to... It's a long way away, mate. It is a long way away. I'm still here. I'm stuck. I'm stuck yeah. here.
1: <laughs> you haven't escaped. I can't get yeah. back.
0: <laughs> uh, I just managed to get through the Trump era. So I'm good. I'm, I'm yeah. um, good work. <laughs> now, listen, um, it, prior to 2000, what was the medal or what was the event or the meet that, you're, that you feel that like was your breakout meet for you? before
1: 2000 uh that's a really good question so the period for me if i take you back to 96 olympics had a pretty average olympics um i had a few injuries kind of coming in i was starting to get a bit distracted uh motivation was probably well below what it needed to be um and for the first time ever, I got I got dropped from the national uh, medley relay team. First time really since I'd started competing, and that was a big thing for me. Mm. Um, young guys like uh, you know Scott Miller and, and Michael Klim um, were were really starting to swim well, and and uh, and I just hadn't had a good good meet at all. So I dropped um, my goal of an Olympic medal. Unfortunately, went through my fingers when they got a bronze in the medley relay, mm. and so I came back a little despondent and kind of thought, well. Oh, uh, do so I go around again, get back on the, the cycle? And, and I really at that point couldn't make a decision whether I wanted to, to do it or not. So I took some time out. I finished my uni, um, pretty much uh, didn't swim regularly again until the beginning of 97, where I uh, moved to Sydney. Um, and uh, actually um, Scotty Miller convinced me to come and train with Brian Sutton because he was just starting to swim with Brian at Sydney uni. Mm. Um, Got back into it to keep him kind of company. And then Brian uh, convinced me to have another crack at Sydney, and we really started to improve some, some weaknesses. And I, I learned a lot um, from Brian as well. Um, and, um, and so by 90, 98, I uh, made the final 100 free in the world champs, swam pretty well in that race. Um, and then 99, packs I swam well. But probably my, my really, if I look back and go, what was the best 100 you put together would have been Olympic trials. In 2000, Mm. Um, I just really put together a good meet, heat semi-final progression, uh, PB basically from, uh, you know, heat semi through to final, a lot of pressure as you recall, Mm. you know, in um, in that meet, the Australian swimming team had a lot of focus, the meet trials was just sold out, it was massive. Um, and, uh, so for me, that was probably, uh, you know, I, ironically, my breakout meet was the trials before my last international event. Um, and I really felt like I was getting competitive at that national level. Yeah.
0: All right. So in 99, I actually made the decision to move back from the U S to, to come back to train in sydney to to try and make the olympic team and that's where i had to make a decision on where i was going to come to um and and i kind of evaluated my best shot at um being with a competitor and and being with a a coach that i trusted so i i decided to come back to brian sutton who had coached me previously um and i decided to come into a training group where you were you know the prominent figure in that training group, and Scotty Miller was there. As you said, there was a couple of other budding Olympians. You'd had you'd you'd had years of success as Australia's best sprinter. So I knew I wanted to come back into an environment where I was putting myself up against the best. I I needed to be with the guy that I needed to either beat or or finish second to at the Olympic trials to to make the Olympics. So I put myself in that situation. Um, what was that like for you to have a little Brett Hawk, the little punk, come back into the training group.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you were annoying. You're quite (laughs) right. Um, No, listen, uh, we had a really, you remember, Like, I feel really fortunate to have been around in that squad at that time. And uh, we had a a lot of good people. Brian was an excellent coach, particularly of older athletes. Um, I was kind of 28 by the time I swam Sydney, which was considered old at that time. Um, but what we had was a great camaraderie between the group and, and uh, it really it made me appreciate probably more when I reflect on it now how important having the right squad in place uh, is to the performance of of athletes. And, and you don't need every single person in that squad to be an Olympic athlete to form part of the cohesive kind of unit, you know. Mm. It's really important to have lots of guys. And, and you know, we had lots of guys and, and girls who kind of, uh, just they just formed part of that uh, unity and that culture that we had. Yeah. Um, so bringing bringing you in helped me too, right? So training uh, as the as a hundred freestyle and and hundred and a fifty free. By the time you joined the fifty, my fifty free was starting to move as well, pretty well, and and. Uh, it's great to swim against Scott, you know, guys like Mal Allen, you know, over the more distancy type kind of events, but to actually have someone standing up and, and really um, pressuring me to move over that 15 or 20 meter kind of sprints and constantly having that comparison of, Hey, this guy's hungry and, uh, and fast. And I, I, I need to pick up my game mm. to improve. And I think you brought, you yeah, brought some knowledge out of the, uh, the U S college system that Brian was able to kind of uh, incorporate and, and, uh, no, listen, I, I I really enjoyed that opportunity to compete on a, on a daily basis uh, as well to, to improve. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes it's uncomfortable, right, particularly when you're getting beaten on those things that you traditionally think, you know, I, this is my event. I got I can't even beat the guy who I'm tra- training <laughs> against here. Uh, and then there are other days you're like, okay, I, I know what this kind of looks like now, and you're really trying to beat that. So... Um, that no, was good. We, we had a great team. So you know, maybe I, I don't know the exact numbers, but during that period, mate, we must've had at least six or seven Olympians to kind of train with us. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was an incredible group. Um, Elka Graham was there at the time as well. I remember person um, Thompson
1: kind of bounced yeah. through. It was, uh, sure. um, it was, yeah, you know, yourself and, and, and Mal and, uh, and Scott and Phil Rogers kind Phil of, came Rogers, in. Yep. It, yeah, mm. you know, so it was, there was a good group there.
0: Yeah, it was an awesome group. And, um, you know, so I missed the Olympic team in, in 96 by three hundredths of a second that devastated me. And at that time, I, I never thought I'd be an Olympian. I just thought that was it. I'm done. I sat at home watching the Olympics. I've said this many times. I've sat at home watching the Olympics thinking that that my dream was over. You know, I'm 21. Never going to happen. So I, I come back in 99. I've got a chance to make it. And I, I put myself in a position where I'm training against the the most dominant sprinter in australia's history and one of the things i learned really quickly is that you earned that spot you were tough to beat man in practice because not only were you um you know really good at what you did you're you're 100 freestyle so you could take and and you could probably swim a great 200 so you could take some work you could take some training you know so i learned real quick that um you didn't give much away in practice you weren't you weren't you were just good everywhere and and so it wasn't so much that my, my dream was dwindling. I, what I tried to do, and I, have, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but one of the things I tried to do is figure out your weakness. And, and you really didn't have any. I couldn't find any anywhere. You know? And so I'm thinking to myself, well, the only way that I'm going to make the Olympic team is if I beat this guy. And every day he comes in, he's beating me. I mean, I'm doing the math here. It's, it doesn't work out. So I really stretched to find a weakness with you. And I, and I felt like I found one. And and like I said, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I've told some other people this in my mind, this is the way it went down, right? So you would, you would beat me every single rep in everything that you would do. But the one thing that I felt like you did wrong, that I never told you you did wrong was you would pull up about a meter short of the, of the finish on every rep. So you would, you'd be spanking my butt. You'd be kicking my ass and you would glide into the finish and as you were gliding into the finish i would dig a little deeper and i would try and get my hand on the wall before you just just and i think it annoyed you over time it was like you know that's really annoying <laughs> you know but in my mind it was the only thing i could get over the top of you i couldn't i couldn't find a way to beat you You were just too big you were too strong you were too fast and so over time i i created this scenario in my mind i thought to myself well when i race him at the olympic trials the only place i'm going to get him is on the finish line i, f- I figured you were going to beat me the whole way and so th- that's what i did as an athlete I, I created one weakness and i used that as a mental gain to kind of get something on you but as you know when it came to the olympic trials um you know i was extremely nervous man i i was i don't know how you felt at that olympic trials it was your third one you know you were going for your your third team i was going for my first I mean, I was throwing up in the warm-up area. I was I was deathly nervous. And I remember specifically you coming up to me and and calming me down. And and that that to me was the ultimate teammate, you know, is of somebody that recognized that I was um needing that at that point in time. And to and to do that, I felt it was very big of you as well.
1: Yeah, listen, uh I- interesting to hear that. I, I yeah, you're right. I, I, I think um, there were some good parts around, uh, you know, me as, as a total kind of uh, group, uh, uh, a total kind of package for, for sprinting. I certainly felt like I had some weaknesses, so I maybe didn't share those with you. Um, no, you didn't. Uh, yeah, but the, the, the technical pieces, um, you know, you know, and I know uh, all of those things are really important, so... Um, I hate to hear that I was lazy on some of those skills because I tried my best just try to best not to to, kind of, to get those out um, and uh, and got better get better as that as I got older as well I recognized some of the importance of those things um, and uh, listen I'm I'm glad that I provided a motivation for you to get there and you certainly deserve it and, and you went on to do great things in that in that event as well so. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I was an inspiration to actually try and uh, to, to do that day in, day out. Um, the trials themselves to answer that question, uh, I, got, I got better as I got older at managing those emotions uh, and, and, and rather than letting those emotions take control of me. And uh, I was certainly nervous at times. I was not nervous enough at other times. And part of what I talked about before with the learnings from Gennady was being able to understand that emotional kind of roller coaster and being able to harness that energy. Um, I got better at that. So Olympic trials are by far the most nerve-wracking race anyone will do. There, don't let anyone tell you the Olympics are more nerve-wracking. Mm-hmm. They are not. Yep. You know that the, the trials are the most nerve-wracking. Hundred percent. Agree on uh, that. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and that one for me, those trials were really nerve-wracking. I. Um, and I did have to manage those things. So, you know, Ian Thorpe um, was really, really coming on as a legend, uh, or in in the making, right? So, mm. and his uh, his coach Doug um, was very um, uh, what, forceful in his kind of um, feelings that, that that Ian was going to get one of those spots in the hundred freestyle in the, in the in the periods kind of leading in, and you know that Ian was going to win X amount of gold medals. And I'm sitting there thinking yeah, well, he's got to actually make the 100 free first. I mean, that's, that's my event. I know, you know, Michael's competitive, but, you know, Ian's got to get past me on this as well. And and uh, and so that was the motivation for me to kind of keep digging and, and making sure I was in, in prime, um, prime condition, I suppose, when those trials came around. Um, and the 100 and the 50 itself... Uh, it's just a nerve wracking event as far as getting yourself in that right emotional state, because if you miss a start or you you, you miss the finish or you just don't get in that right rhythm, you over kind of overcook, you know, the first 20 meters or so, it's just, you you, you miss it. Right. And, and uh, so just so important to get in that right state. So, um, you know, I, uh, I appreciate the thought around giving you a hand and, and calming you down a little bit. And, and, and I hope that helped, but, uh, listen, there, was, there wasn't much I needed to teach you, mate. By the time we got to uh, the Olympic Trials in two thousand, and, and as I said, you, you just kind of you kind of went on and did great things in that event.
0: Yeah, well, I appreciate it. I mean one of the things I took from you is, is that, is that um, dominance, you know, I wanted once, once you moved on after 2000, I wanted to be the dominant sprinter. I took that persona that you, you had and you very much taught me that of like, you know, it's not just about winning one event. It's about being dominant over a period of time. And that's kind of what I wanted to do from 2000 on, but in terms of 2000 itself, you know, I, I regard that as for me, the greatest Olympic race I've ever seen the, the four by one, freestyle relay at the sydney olympics i mean it was incredible and i've seen some others since then and people will argue that there's there's been maybe one that was as equal or better but um but for me it was that race but so in terms of just making the team for that relay and and having a a team of you know six guys did you feel like you you guys could be competitive from the moment you guys qualified or how did that progress over time
1: Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, We probably didn't think we'd definitely be competitive for a a gold medal um, uh, instantly. You know, post trials. What what we did know, you know, there wasn't many teams in the world that had two guys swimming under forty nine. And Mike and I both swam under forty nine at trials. Um, You know, Ash ian i think we're third and fourth um and then and like i said like we had a whole pile of guys behind that as well that were were swimming under 50 at the time um and so we knew we were competitive if everything kind of went to plan uh we we really should find ourselves the podium but you know i've been to enough olympics and seen enough favorites not even medal um Mm -hmm. let alone uh win a gold medal to know that you really need to perform at that time one of the good things um, that the head coaches and, and the relay coaches at the time, they, they didn't commit to who was going to be swimming that relay until we actually got to the meet. So everyone uh, had to kind of fight for their position on the way through. Hmm. By the time we got there um, and swam, you know, Michael, Michael and I had, had our positions kind of locked down um, ian had his position locked down as well and there was a battle for that fourth that kind of that kind of played out in the heats uh, just to see who swam that fourth position so uh, by the time we got to the meet we uh, or, or during the meet we kind of knew who was going to swim those those kind of roles um but no listen you know it's a lot's been said about this race um there is some things that just baffle me right i for me, I watch it again, and I get goosebumps watching it. But I get goosebumps watching because I'm in it as well, and uh, and it's a great race that I'm really proud of. Yeah, why it stands out as the um, yeah one of the great races of of the relays in, in, in our generation, I, I can't tell you why, because I think there's some great races out there and great relays as well. But I, I'm really proud to be part of that, and I'll certainly I'll take that um, to every day that someone says it. Um, I think the unexpected part of it was probably why um, a lot of people appreciated. I think the expectation of the Sydney Olympics for the Australian kind of folk um, was really, really there. Um, I think the fact that the Americans had never been beaten uh, before was part of that as well. Um, but all in all, it, it is a thrilling race to kind of watch that lead kind of moves and gets close and uh, constantly. And there's some great, great names in Thorpe and Hall, um, and uh uh you know klim kind of as well that kind of swam that race and, and some great american sprinters that kind of form part of that team as well like neil walker so um
0: i think Luzak it was, was there it, too right
1: i think he may well have been actually mate yeah i think so there was a there was a number of good good sprinters that kind Nathan of found the way their way into there yeah there was there was good like i said there, there's there's some there's some names in that event and uh and we managed to put together a pretty faultless uh four by one which happens pretty rarely uh, which uh, enabled us to kind of get, get home that day. Um, but it was, a, it was a pretty amazing time for swimming in Australia. And uh, we had a very, very strong male and female team um, that was just, the, there was an expectation, you know, coming into these meets. We had world record holders and Olympic champions and people that hadn't been beaten in events at a world scale for five or six years. And, mm. uh, you know, it was just, it was crazy, you know, how, how strong and deep that team was.
0: Yeah. I mean, the likes of Kieran Perkins and Grant Hackett and Susie O'Neill, and, you know, there were there's so many on that team of people that were just dominant that it wasn't really, um, you know, it wasn't far-fetched for us to think that we could do anything, you know, yeah. especially that relay team. So was there was there talk before you even got to the games that we were going to win this thing? Did you talk that way?
1: No. Nah. No, I, I don't recall that at all. And in fact, one of the interesting things, we're, th- we're now talking 20, 20 years ago, right? So we, we had our 20th anniversary only a few uh, months ago. Mm. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, it was the COVID kind of thing, right? So I, I, I would really have liked to have got all the four of us together and had a, had a dinner and and, uh, and celebrated and maybe done something special. But, um, you know, we couldn't get Ash out of Queensland. Um, Michael happened to be in Sydney at the time, and so he and uh, um, uh, Ian and I kind of caught up for dinner and um, on the anniversary of our 20th kind of win. Mm. And I'll tell you a quick story before I answer the question. And, and so, so we all kind of get to this little restaurant. It's a little restaurant in Potts Point. It, it was you know, quite a um, cool kind of place. You know, everyone's kind of dressed really nicely. And, it's all, and, and, uh, and so we kind of wander in there. And, and Mike and I were there um, uh, with, uh, with Rose and, and, and Mike's partner, Michelle, and um ian walks in with uh you know a big cardboard kind of uh box under his under his arm mm-hmm. and so everyone kind of is watching kind of ian come in and he sits down at the table and like man what do you what he got there and so he said, oh, "I feel really bad that Ashley couldn't make it down here." So then he pulls out of the cardboard box a life-size cutout of Ash that's kind of dressed in his kind of swimwear. You know what Ash is like, right? He's this mountain of a man. So it's just this life-size cutout. And he just kind of plonks it next to him on the uh, on the uh, on the restaurant kind of chair. And so for the whole dinner, we had this cardboard cutout of ash sitting there and we started then taking photos and texting it to uh, to to ash as well so that was a that was quite a fun quite a fun night but the the uh, are we going to be the best Uh, are we going to win this no we knew we're going to be close we knew we were within second and a half of the american guys and uh, uh but i think uh we kind of went well we're not going to give up on it i think that's probably the better it's like we don't have to Um, you know, think that we're definitely going to win this thing and come in with this. It's we are the best and whatever, but we did come in thinking we're a chance here. And if we kind of build a race plan, we execute that race plan with the excitement energy that's going to be there on that night. um, Who knows what's going to happen, but uh, we knew we were going to be close and we knew we were going to be in the hunt.
0: It seemed like you had created a strategy of, of kind of hanging back apart from uh, well, Michael, I don't even think Michael turned first at the 50, even though he ended up breaking the world record in that, but it seemed like you, the strategy was to let the Americans get out in front, chase them down and swim past them on each leg is, was that talked about or did it just play out that way?
1: Yeah, no, no, that, that, that was absolutely a, a strategy at, at the time. You know, you would, you would generally put your fastest swimmer at the back right of the race. That was kind of how relays were structured. Um we knew that the American guys were faster than us. we knew that the American guys swam faster in the front end than the back end of the of the race. and so really what we we kind of the simple strategy was let's get out in front early, try and make them chase us and over swim that first leg a little bit and then uh, use our strength, which is the back end to uh, to try and retake the kind of dominance in that in that particular leg. Mm-hmm. Um, what that meant was Michael just had to be as fast as he could possibly be. Um, Right from the get-go. Uh, and, yeah, you know, he broke the world record, which helps, I suppose, when you're trying to win mm-hmm. a relay as well, Did doesn't you? it? To have your, have your opening leg break the world record. And then from, from then, the Americans were chasing. And, and I think you're right. I think uh, regularly they would kind of be equal or slightly in front of the 50 and we'd kind of then draw away in that last five five or 10 metres. And, and, uh, and so as the race kind of progressed and that kept playing out, the, the excitement started to build in the crowd
0: yeah just added to the suspense man i was jumping 10 feet in the air i was shot for days after that race. (laughs) but um in terms of gary hall's comments you know a lot of been made of it in uh, smash them like guitars did that play into anything amongst you four guys at all
1: no no not at all i mean you're conscious of it you do read the paper a little bit kind of during that period um, but you know, Gary. Gary's a great guy. He's, he's a lot of fun. He is a little on the eccentric side on some things, and and uh, you know, I, I think we took that in 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 the um, you know in the way in which it was kind of stated, and it was off the cuff. And I, I think uh, you know, he was probably the first guy to come and congratulate us on the night, and certainly there was no hard feelings or bitterness towards it. Um, but he, uh, he certainly created, uh, you know, a great memory, you know, as a result of, uh, of that as well, that people won't forget.
0: Yeah. Listen, I can tell you a lot, a lot more was taken of that than was intended for sure. I, I talked to Gary on a regular basis. Uh, love the guy. I think he's awesome. And, and I'm sure he was the first person to come up and congratulate you. And, and then he would have come back the next day and try to beat you again. That's just the way he is. So it's, you know, yeah. there, there, there's certainly no hard feelings there on his behalf, but, um, yeah, well, listen. To, how did this medal change your life?
1: Huh? That's a that's a good question. Um, I think most importantly, mate, it gave me uh, closure uh, from a, a swimming career perspective. Mm. Um, swimming is a very tough sport, and uh, and often I think a lot of people finish our sport and uh, feel that they've given more to it than they've gotten out of it. You know, and and it seems silly to say that you know a single kind of medal or achievement would um, justify the twelve years of effort you kind of put into something. Um, but it meant for me, I could close the door and say, you know what? I've actually achieved more than I probably thought I was able to if I looked really clearly um, and honestly at myself and the talent that I actually had. Um, so uh, I was able then to leave the sport um, feeling good about it. Um, and today whilst I didn't swim for a number of years, uh, after, you know, within about four or five years, I kind of get back and I still swim quite regularly and love it today. Mm. I know a lot of our, um, compatriots, um, probably don't get back in the water so much anymore. They kind of were over it at the time. And I think that's sad because it was a great passion of all of us for such a long time. Mm. Um, so it helped from that perspective. There's no doubt it helps, um, give me, um, Uh, a bit of uh, confidence I suppose when I'm talking to people about sport it certainly certainly gives me a bit of weight uh, Mm -hmm. between uh, in introductions to people Um, and uh, and certainly uh, then I'll have to justify why I'm in the room on particular things with (laughs) with (laughs) with other matters but that does help with door opening from that perspective Um, but yeah I think most of all for me it just gave me that peace of mind that I could kind of retire and I did retire not long after as you know um, uh, and, uh, and just kind of move on. And I, I think really fondly of, of that time in swimming and, and, uh, and I think proudly of that achievement, but there, there's a lot of things I'm proud of. I think the team culture at the time that we left was, was awesome. I think, uh, the development of swimming as a, a sport during those 10 years that I happened to be involved, it was incredible where we kind of came from and got to, and, and the money and the, and the sponsorship of the, the sport but the profile in australia at that time was just ridiculous it was really um you know our national championships you recall our national mm. championships were primetime tv mm-hmm. primetime yeah. like can you imagine that today you know mm. yeah that's um, why i was and, throwing and,
0: up in the warm-up pool <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> i think that's right but i mean wow this is these people knew uh who all of the swimmers were and not just the kieran perkins and the yeah and the Susie O'Neill's, but they knew the Hawk and Feidler kind of people mm. and, and, and the personalities and were following these guys.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you mentioned that one of our uh, former teammates and good friends. Kieran Perkins is now the president of Australian Swimming. What, what's the state of Australian Swimming these days, you think?
1: I, I think there's a few challenges, and I, and I don't think I'm speaking out of school. I think Kieran acknowledges those. Um you know, the sport itself needs to evolve and this isn't just swimming australia but sport generally and we see some of that kind of happening internationally around that isl uh stuff as well which i think is really exciting you know we've, we've been running the same kind of events for quite a while um, and uh, probably need to modernize the way in which we do some of these things we need to adopt technology faster than what we kind of have today um, and encourage young kids to be part of the sport again. I think there's, it's much more competitive. There's lots of footballs, there's lots of options in Australia, particularly for kids to kind of go down other sporting paths. And we need to find and make ourselves attractive mm. um, to those kids so they want to play our sport. Um, and start to uh, start to build that pipeline of great athletes that want to be swimmers, not necessarily cricket players or footballers or netballers. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, when I look at the numbers, like I see some of the numbers uh, out of AFL in Australia for women, and there's half a million you know women that are playing AFL today. Mm. Well, that wasn't even a thing when we were going through, you know. So. Um, yeah, it's a really, really competitive environment, let alone, you know, technology and, and kids playing uh, their phones and, and playing on computers. Right. So we need to evolve to be uh, attractive to those kids. Um, I think we've got great coaching in Australia, but, you know, there needs to be more development in that, you know, under, underpinning kind of coaching capability uh we need to invest in the development of young coaches coming back into the program and uh and start to build up a bit of diversity around some of that thought as well so there's plenty to do he's a good guy for it uh he's a good leader uh, and hopefully uh hopefully he can start to, to drive some of that innovation back into back into swimming again
0: yeah absolutely man i agree with all that stuff you just said there um in terms of tokyo do you think it's going to happen
1: I think we're pretty close, or close enough now to say yes. Um, you know, if you'd asked me 12 months ago, I just couldn't have seen it, Brett. You know, yeah. I just couldn't have seen how they could possibly run it in the in the current environment. I think with uh, you know the advent of some vaccines starting to come through now, a level of confidence about how we can you know, safely run a games, I think, has improved. Um, you know, I, I I think there's risk kind of involved in it, certainly, but I think people are managing that risk now. Um, I really hope it does. Maybe I'm just optimistic. I, I really hope it does. I think there are certainly logistical challenges around it and, and um, it will be different than any games we've seen before. And, you know, the Olympic Games is not, for me, my memories of Olympics, whilst I have one great uh, memory in competition, um, my memories of the Olympics are the things outside of the pool. And uh, it's about the going to the different sports and cheering home teams. It's about uh the stuff we did, you know, heading out and uh, and and exploring, you know, new new kind of places and and uh, just being part of that Olympic environment, the the village, you know, the dining halls and all of the things, you know, I remember, you know, Barcelona seeing Scott Pippen and Michael Jordan coming into the food hall still, you know, and that was that was 23, 20, 20 odd years ago, you know, and, and uh and so they are the things that these guys are going to miss out on, I think. And, and that's really sad because the Olympics, yeah, for me, were more than just about you know, one or two races. It was, it was really about that whole experience and uh, minimal crowds, you know, minimal interaction with other athletes, minimal kind of socialization. Um, I think it's going to be tough you know, yeah. for those guys
0: yeah yeah mate just reminded me one of my favorite memories was meeting muhammad ali in the dining hall in sydney that was uh yeah that was, that was nuts but yeah i agree well um what about this if it does go ahead uh, who wins who wins your event who wins the 100 freestyle can Chalmers go back to back
1: i gotta think so um i'm certainly gonna back him i mean dressel is an incredible athlete um, there's always we talk about those two, but, you know, there's always going to be someone who has their nose out of joint that's going, <laughs> what about me? And uh, who may come through as well. So the more we talk about these guys, the more we're going to be motivating someone who's sitting at home. We, you know, we don't know uh, or we do know who's just done an incredible job. It's staying out of the limelight like, over the last year as everyone's kind of not competed um uh you know kyle kyle is a great athlete there's no doubt i i didn't really appreciate how good he was when he won rio yeah. uh, i think a lot of people would have said hey you know there was it was it was almost a you know uh, a, a good achievement but a real surprise at that, that time won that event yeah um he's a great racer i've I probably haven't seen someone as strong in the water as that guy. Mm. Um, he just monsters the water when he swims and it's quite incredible to watch. Uh, he's an incredible racer too. I mean, I watched him swim at 200 butterfly at the state championships here in Sydney about a year ago. Uh, you know, he, he I'll be corrected, but I want to say he went 157 and won mm. that event. Mm. And like, what other what hundred freestyler do you know who would even stand up and swim a 200 fly? right? Like the guy just wants to race and he's good. So I, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to back him every day if it comes down to a man on man race.
0: Yeah, no, you can't go wrong, mate. He's good. I'll tell you what, I've, I've got an appreciation for him just getting to know him over the past couple of years he's a man and he's a racer. He loves it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't back against him, but yeah, it's going to be a great race either way, but man, I appreciate your time. It's good catching up again. Good to see you. And, um, thanks. You for too.
1: Yeah. I'm looking forward to you coming back and coaching Australia at some point as well, mate. Hey,
0: it's coming soon, man. Trust me. It's <laughs>
1: it's very out. good. Good <laughs> on you. Nice to talk. See you, Hockey. See you, Fides. Take care, mate.